Bless you. Hey, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And uh, let's do this because I've forgotten it twice. It's so important. And um, I think my mind sometimes runs faster than my mouth. Um, of course, I guess that's better than the other way. But uh, let's begin with the Lord's Prayer today, shall we? Um, I know you've just been standing. I won't ask you to stand, but let's pray together. It's on the screen for you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to talk to you today um, as we uh, have our last Sunday in 2020 and get ready for a new year uh, about how to redeem the past, redeeming your past failures. Um, I want to read a summary statement of Paul from 2 Timothy chapter 4 in just a moment. But before I do that, there are three things that I want to uh, say. Number one, as you could tell from the announcement from Pastor Justin, we're trying to move forward uh, with loosening up and hopefully we, we will have uh, before too long a time when um, our schedule will be back to the way it was except better. And um, uh, we're looking forward to that. But thank you for taking these baby steps with us. Those of you that are not able to be with us yet, and those of you that are concerned about coming together, we want to say again, you are loved, you are missed, and you are prayed for. Number two, um, I want to remind you that this is our last uh, time that we will meet this year to receive our offering but you can give online. You have been absolutely phenomenal this year. Many churches, I think I can say the majority of churches have taken hard financial hits in 2020. I know, I know several pastors, their, their churches are closing down. They can't survive financially. You have been very gracious and you have been very generous. We have taken some pretty hard hits, especially in the last two or three months um, and we need to regroup and we need to uh, ask the Lord to help us so that we can keep going forward, um, doing everything that God has called us to do. But you have been incredibly faithful and um, you, you have given out of uh, poverty. You have given out of uncertainty. And I just want to encourage you, whether it's here today or online um, before the 31st or by the 31st, I think it is. If it's postmarked or in by the 31st, it goes on this year's giving and you get uh, tax credit for it if you'd like to have that. But let's finish strong. The third thing I want to say um, is thank you for your prayers. One of my heroes and one of the anchors, humanly speaking, of my life went to heaven this past week, my brother Randall. And uh, thank you for praying for us, praying for his wife, Diane, his daughter and son, Teresa and Randy, my other brother, Royce. Thank you for praying for friends like uh, Sonny and his family that watch 
Shorty and others, you know, you may not know them, but the Lord knows them. Thank you for praying for our family and extended family. And we appreciate that more than we can say. Now, Father, as we begin this message today, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask for more than just a token acknowledgement that you are here. We ask that the Holy Spirit will come in power. We ask that the Holy Spirit would show himself mighty for the children of God. In, in a difficult time in Israel's history, you gave them the assurance that it is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So we latch on to that and we thank you that some things happen when Holy Spirit comes that don't happen any other time. So we say, come and we welcome you. Father, as we begin a new year, we want to begin it not with uncertainty, although I know there is uncertainty that we're struggling with. We want to begin it with an affirmation that if God is for us, and you are indeed for us, who can be against us? We thank you for the work of the Spirit. We thank you for the redemption that you are involved in right now. We thank you that you are setting us free by the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrected Lord. So graciously impart yourself to us today and help us to leave here having made peace with our past. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I tell you with all of my heart that we are about to understand more than we have understood concerning the kingdom of God. We are about to experience more than we have experienced concerning the kingdom of God coming to us. And we are about to walk in more than we have ever walked in in our lives. Um, I know, church, that I, I can, it can sound like I'm being belligerent when I say this. But I want to caution you. I believe in prophecy. Don't you, you know nobody believes in words of prophecy any more than I do. But I caution you, don't enter the new year trying to base your game plan on prophecies, on new doctrines, on new stars. Listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And it is the written word of God. And we will always make room for the miraculous. We will always make room for God to move any way that he wants to move. We will always give ear to the prophetic word that comes from God. But we have got to get back to the solid foundation of God's word. And we've got to quit scanning and we've got to quit surfing and we've got to quit looking for something that thrills us and chills us when we have that already in place. And God is about to do something phenomenal. Our theme for 2021 is fight the good fight of faith. Now, I've, 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 I want to preface the new series uh, that we'll walk, to, walk through and in and out of during 2021 um, with, with this message about redeeming the past. Listen to what Paul said. Isn't it an amazing goal to have the words of Paul where he said, I have fought the good fight. Wouldn't you love to say this on your deathbed? Wouldn't you love this to be the last conversation that you had with your loved ones? I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. How do we redeem the past? I want to tell you about four things that Paul knew about the past uh, in general and about redeeming it in particular. But before I go there, I've got to give you some bad news. Here's the bad news. I hope you're ready. Um, we cannot undo the consequences of a bad decision. Uh, forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences to pay. You may commit murder and then give your heart to the Lord, but the probability is you're still going to jail. But I do know this. I do know this. Um, I know that God can reverse circumstances. And I, I'm, I know that there are things that we do that ought to bear bitter fruit, but God in his mercy. Oh, I've, I've been there where I ought to suffer these consequences, but God in his mercy redeemed the situation. So God can undo uh, consequences of bad decision, but don't get mad with him if we have to walk through some of the consequences of bad decisions. I remember someone talking to Jack Deere when he was here preaching a couple of decades ago. He said, uh, he, this, this friend of mine said, Pastor Jack, you're talking about all of these things are doorways for demons in our lives. And he said, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but he said, I did all of these things and I don't have any sense of demonic activity in my life. I came to the Lord and it seemed to not affect me. And he said, how do you explain that? And Jack Deere said, I don't know how to explain it because the rule is you pay the consequences for your sin. But sometimes God is so gracious. He said, sometimes it's simply a matter of having a praying mama that gets you through some of those bad decisions. So God can not that he has to, but God can. But I can tell you this, even if you're walking through the valley of consequence, even though you're walking through, boy, I wish I hadn't done this. My pastor used to say, the worst thing about if only is when I've created the if only myself. But God is able, even if you're walking through the valley of the if onlys, God is able to sweeten the journey. The psalmist said, blessed are those when they're traveling through the wilderness, they make it a place of springs and they make it a place of blessing. So God can help you, but I'm saying don't get mad and pout and stay out of church for a year because God doesn't rescue from some of the consequences of bad mistakes. Okay. Um, okay. Let's keep, let's keep going. Um, here's some more bad news. If that's not enough, we we can't continue in unrepented of sin and expect to prosper. Now, I'm not talking about struggling, you know, fighting the good fight of faith, trying to overcome. God knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. 
He knows that we are broken. And even though we are redeemed, we're still fighting against old patterns. And even though we're new creatures, we forget it sometime. And I want to tell you, the old man tries to resurrect himself. And nothing smells worse than something that's decaying. So nothing's worse than when a Christian starts living the old life, even though that thing is dead. And the reason it stinks so bad is it's dead. Is it's dead. We're, we try to give it shock and we try to resurrect it. We try to nourish it. But that's not you anymore. That's not you anymore. And God wants us to learn lessons from Israel. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. You said, Isaiah said to the people, that God's arm must have grown weak that he can't save. You've said that God must be old and his ear is clogged up that he can't hear. But to those of you that think that God's too weak and that God can't hear, he says, I want you to know it's not that God is weak and powerless, but your sins have separated you from the flow of eternal life. So, so we, we have to remember that. We have to remember what the psalmist said. If I regard iniquity in my heart, and that's King James, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayer. That doesn't mean if there's iniquity in our heart, the Lord won't hear our prayer. If that was the case, we'd all be in trouble. But when he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he said, if I give iniquity in my heart a place of honor, if I set it on a throne and say, Lord, I want to serve you, but I need to hold this over here for myself, that is going to short circuit much of what God's trying to do in your life. It doesn't mean you won't get any prayers answered, but it does mean that every time God's power begins to work, you short circuit it. When you honor sin, when you keep that sin in your life, God will help you all day long with the struggle. But if you say, I'm going to hold this sin and I'm not going to let God touch it, I guarantee you, you're going to have blown fuses in your life every single day or almost it. But now there's also some good news. Here's the good news. When dealing with our past, I want you to know that in every circumstance, there is grace. There is grace. Now, as we have said, and this is one of our core values, one of our core points, uh, grace is not God just forgetting. He said, oh, don't worry about it. No, grace means that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our failure has been atoned for. It's been satisfied in the eyes of God. I mean, the, the, the punishment has been satisfied in the eyes of God. And so when we talk about grace we always say this, first of all, it is God's good will toward us. Grace is God saying, Justin, I know you've sinned, but I'm telling you, you can come home. I'm telling you, you may have wasted your life in riotous living as the prodigal son did, but every day I go out to the road and I look for you, Justin, you can come home and I will bring out the fatted calf and I will rejoice because my son who was lost is now found and he's brought home. It's God's good will toward us, but it doesn't stop there. God doesn't just say, come on home, Justin. And then Pastor Glenn say, well, he's home. What are we going to do with him? I don't know. I just told him he could come home. No, it's not just God's good will toward Justin. It's God's good work in Justin. God is saying everything I've called you to be, everything I've purposed you to become, I will give you grace 
to become that. I will give you grace to do that. Now that's the good news. And here's some more good news. God said, what I have begun in you, I will be faithful to complete it. I will be faithful to complete it. So with that in mind, let's look about some wisdom from Paul. Now, Paul, there's only two points to the message. The problem is there's, I think, 712 sub points, but the two main points. Um, here's number one. Paul knew that bad decisions cannot be undone, but they can be redeemed. They can be redeemed. And I want to tell you four things. I'm going to cover them. I'm going to introduce you to them. Then I'm going to go back and do a little bit of detail. Number one, we have to learn from Paul that we approach the throne of grace with full assurance and utter confidence. Number two, I don't give too much attention to my regrets. Number three, God's discipline doesn't mean the withdrawal of his presence. And number four, Paul knew that even though he had made bad decisions, he could start making good decisions right now, right now. Now let's talk about those four things. Here's number one, Paul learned to approach the throne of grace with full assurance and utter confidence. Loved ones, I've often told you that the turning point in my Christian life, I know I was saved for years, but the turning point in my Christian life is when I began to understand that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. When I really got my head wrapped around that, I understood it intellectually, but it wasn't a reality in my life. But when I really began to understand that God loves me so much that if I had a good day, he didn't love me better than he did on my bad day. And if I had a day of failure, I didn't disassociate myself from his love for me. He knew the worst about me from the beginning. You know, in my generation, baseball was king of sports and I grew up on the playground. And if you ever seen the movie Sandlot, that was, that's a biography of my life probably. But I remember in our neighborhood, Everybody played ball together from the age of about seven or eight up to college age. Every afternoon during the summer, every single afternoon, except Saturday, that's when the Yankee game of the week was on and nobody played. They all went home to watch the game, not on Sunday. That was the Lord's day. You'd go to hell for playing ball on the Lord's day. We all, you know, that's the whole neighborhood believe that. But on Monday through Friday during the summer, Pensacola had a great city league program and we would go to Zamora Park. We would have organized activities during the day. We would have our organized team stuff and games during the morning, I mean. And then we'd go home for lunch. We'd come back and the entire afternoon was a marathon baseball game, three, four hours. Um, um, sometimes... Uh, when we got to the ninth inning, if somebody was getting beat, the other team would let them score. So we would go into tie and have to go into extra innings. And I remember when I was an eight year old boy standing there and this was the way you got picked. Uh, you know, you're, you're waiting, you're, you're standing there waiting to be picked. You go through the ritual of whose hands on top of the bat, who chooses first. And it was the two greatest players that chose, you know, and they'd go and they'd pick this one. They'd pick that one. They'd be, and you at eight years old are left. And then 
I remember the inevitable choosing. I'll take Stevie. But his outs don't count. And the other team would say, and neither do his runs. And that was the ritual. They let you play. You had to learn to play, but you didn't hurt the team by, if you made an out, it didn't count. But if you scored, it didn't count either. And you knew you had arrived to manhood. I mean, you're not shaving yet, but you knew you were a man when you were picked without conditions. My outs counted and my runs counted. Can I tell you something, loved ones? You were picked without condition. You were picked without qualification. And one of the things we've got to learn is there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And there's nothing I will do, although I don't take sin lightly, there's nothing I will do that will make him love me less. And I've got to learn that I approach the throne of grace with full assurance and utter confidence. And I say this, I'm Pentecostal through and through. But one thing the Pentecostal church and the charismatic church has not done well, we have come to the Lord understanding the dynamic moving of the Holy Spirit, and we've come to the, to the Lord knowing the dynamic need for faith, and we've turned the Christian life into a pursuit of faith instead of a pursuit of Jesus Christ. And, and I say this to every Pentecostal pastor that will listen and to every charismatic pastor that will listen. Our quest is for Jesus, not more faith. Uh, we, we, we have a tendency to measure the quality of our Christian life by how many miracles we have and we ought to have miracles instead of how much of the character of Jesus is being developed in our lives. And I grew up for years trying to think that uh, are, are trying to attain to something because the atmosphere I grew up in, this was never taught to me by my pastor or by my church, but the atmosphere I grew up in said, when you come to the Lord with full assurance, that means you don't have any doubts. You don't have any questions. You demand your rights. <coughs> and guys, I want to tell you, if the only time Jesus answered my prayers when I didn't have any doubts, I'd be in trouble. You would too. You don't want to admit it, but you would too. You say, I don't, I don't think that's right, Pastor. I do. I pastored you for 26 years. I know you. Yeah, we're all like that. We're all like that. When I say we come to the throne of grace with full assurance and utter confidence, it doesn't mean that we come without hesitation or we come without a sense of unworthiness or we come without doubt. <clears throat> when the scripture says we come boldly, it does not mean that we come and say, God, I'm your, I'm your child, I'm a king's kid, and right now I demand my inheritance. You're bound by your word to give it to me. You and I don't want to walk into God's presence and tell him what he's bound to do. What it means when we approach boldly the throne of grace. We, we approach him with the confidence that he's already given his best. Paul said that to the Romans. He said, if God has already given us his son, how will he not also freely give us all things that we have need of? Not that we want, but all things that we have need of. Loved ones, when I say that we must boldly come before the throne of grace, we've got to come understanding that God will never send us away telling us to get our act together. 
He will never send us away telling us to try harder. You say, but I've really failed. Well, do you remember the story of the woman that was taken in adultery? It wasn't just a rumor. It was proven. <laughs> my, my superintendent one time said somebody came to him and <coughs> said, Pastor, I, uh, uh, to the superintendent, he said, Pastor, I, I need you to, to pray for me. These people are making all kinds of accusations against me. And the superintendent said, yeah, but we all, that happens to all of us. Just trust God. This is going to come to nothing. He said, you don't understand, Pastor. They're about to prove this stuff. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we are guilty. It's not that we're accused. We are guilty. And we're like the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught red-handed. She was caught with no excuse. But God saw something in her heart and he said, where are your accusers after Jesus dealt with them? And she said, there's no man, Lord. And he said, then neither do I accuse you. Now, something had to happen. He told her to arise and go her way and stop sinning. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that we have a boldness to know that, that our sins need not separate us from God if we'll give them to him. Listen to this, Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's the amazing thing. He never caved into sin, but he understands me when I do. And he has compassion for me when I do. Let us then, you know, what, what's the then? That's like a therefore. He said, we have a high priest who never failed, but he understands us when we do. Therefore, for that reason, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 10 says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. In Ephesians 3.12, this speaks of Jesus in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Loved ones, when you're dealing with your past, you can't undo what you've done. You can't earn your way back into the good graces of God. But I tell you what you can do. You can come to the Lord's presence knowing that he says, whosoever will may come, knowing that he says, whoever comes to me, I will never under any circumstances cast them away. You say, but I think I ought to have faith. Oh, it's always better to have faith than not have faith. Always. You say, well, what do I do if I don't have faith? Do what that man did with the demon-possessed son. Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He said, Lord, I believe, but I don't believe like I need to believe. And, and Jesus didn't send him home for a refresher course. He gave him what he needed so that his faith could be stronger next time. You see, my faith can weaken. My faith can be flawed. My faith may be uh, uh, misdirected. My faith may never even surface, but he never fails. Now, that's the first thing he says. He says, approach the throne of grace with boldness, not demanding your rights, but knowing you have guaranteed access. 
Have you ever been someplace you were not allowed to come in, but you knew your name was on a list? I'm sorry, this is only for so-and-so. Well, check the list. What's your name? I, I, I remember one time going to a very important reception. I said, I, I know I have an invitation. And what's your name? Stephen Chitty. There's no Stephen Chitty on the list. Well, I knew I was on the list. I'd received a copy of the list. I said, C-H-I-T-T-Y. He said, I know how to spell Chitty. And there's no Stephen Chitty. And he got really kind of, you know, and this was at a, this was at a world prayer conference. You'd think they'd at least pray about it, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, I said, I tell you what, I'm on the list. And I'm not sure who I need to talk to. And, uh, but I know I'm on the list. He said, I have no Chitty. I said, wait a minute. Do you have a Jackie Chitty? Well, yes, I have Jackie Chitty. I said, my name is Jackie Stephen Chitty. I said, how many chitties do you think there are in the world in the first place? And then I started to give him a lecture and I said, well, that's me. Oh, well, welcome. Come, come right in. No, I don't even think it was Jackie. I think it was J. Stephen. Anyway, he was looking at the first initial or the first name. And, but you know, I, I, I didn't get upset because I knew I, knew, I, I, knew I was going to get in because I knew I had access. That's number one. God is not waiting for you to do some impossible task to somehow become worthy of approaching him. Here's number two. Paul learned to stop giving his attention to his regrets. Now, I, I got to say this. I, I should have written it this way in your outline. Stop giving too much attention to your regrets. You know, we, we learn by our experience and every time we fail, that ought to be a learning experience for us, but learn from your regrets, but don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. I'll tell you something, loved ones. It's not easy to be wrong and then to shift without at least a, but, you know, people waste good apologies all the time. Well, I'm sorry I yelled at you, but don't, don't waste an apology with a but. That's, that's like putting a, a, a scoop of, of hog manure into lasagna. You know, it, it ruins the lasagna and nobody's going to eat it. Stop filtering your regrets with a but. Well, listen, if we did wrong, we did wrong. Heaven doesn't require a but. Homologeo, to say the same thing as, that's confession. God's not asking us to analyze and explain our failure. All he's asking us to do is agree with him about our failure. That's confession of sin. And when we've made a mistake, we don't dwell there. We learn from it, but we don't dwell there. Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I've made it my own. In other words, Paul said, I am not what I'm going to be, but he gives us his wonderful refreshing thought, but I'm not what I used to be either. But one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, listen, I know I'm not perfect. He said, I know what it's like to take evaluation of myself. Listen, loved ones, you need to know what your weaknesses are. You need to know what buttons the devil tends to push. You need to be aware of the cycles in your life. You need to be aware of that, <laughs> but you don't live there. You're not bound by that. Like a man running track who is approaching the finish line, we strain forward into what is promised, not withdrawing because we're unworthy. You see, uh, Ron and Suzanne Cox, when they were with us, I think this is in your notes. This is what they said. Your guilt says this is what you did. Then shame says this is what you are. But God says that's what you did, but that's not what you are. Simon Peter, this is one of the ways I know his last name was Chitty. Middle name Barjona. Lord, I'll never deny you. Everybody else may deny you, but I'm not going to deny you. Well, everybody else did get scared and run. At least John came back and went into the judgment hall. But Peter had denied the Lord so thoroughly. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me so utterly that when the, you hear the, the rooster crow, you will have denied me three times. When you go to Jerusalem and you go to that church, which is there at the household of Caiaphas, it's an amazing thing. The emblem of the church, you know, we have that beautiful oak tree, you know, other churches have beautiful angel wings and resurrect. The, the, the emblem of that church is a rooster. That, that's what they're famous for. This is where the rooster crowed and reminded Peter of what a failure he was. I'm not sure. If, that's good for tourists. I'm not sure that you want to build your core values around the rooster, but it's a phenomenal place to visit. And when, if you go to Israel, I encourage you to go there. But let me tell you, let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit got a hold of Peter's life, and that's, why, that's where I want to end in just a moment. This is not just you making up your mind to do better. This is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon Peter on the day of Pentecost, and you know, within walking distance of his failure, in the upper room, the Spirit of God came upon Peter, and on the day, I, I, I have to stand in honor of this moment. Just bear with me. I'm going to sit back down, but I need to stand in honor of this. Peter began to preach under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the one that typified failure, the man that wears a rooster on his lapel, he looked out over all of Israel after his profound failure, and you know what he says? You denied the Lord. You did it. And you think, Peter, you might want to go easy on him. You might want to say, well, you know, I know, I know what it's like, but God bless you. You denied the Lord. And I know, I'm not, I know you probably didn't mean to. No, you deny the Lord. And the whole the thousands come under conviction and some of them give their lives to God. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is so able to redeem your failures that you are able to preach against your own failure and not be put to shame by the devil. Joseph, typical example of this. It tells us in Genesis 41, Joseph had two sons, and this is what it says. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. 
His firstborn was Manasseh. And the name Manasseh means to forget. He says, I named my first son Manasseh because God has made me forget all my trouble and all the mistreatment of my father's household. And his second son was Ephraim, which means fruitful. And, and I'm not trying to give you some name it and claim it formula, but I'm telling you, this is a principle of life. Joseph understood that before I become fruitful, I've got to forget before God can do everything in my life that he wants me to do, I've got to quit saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, and if, but they did this, but my wife did this, but my parents did this, but my children did this. You've got to decide that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to forget not only the failures of others, but you're going to forget your own failure. And you're going to stand with a boldness like Peter on the day of Pentecost. And even though he had been the poster child for denying the Lord. He was able to stand redeemed from that failure and point his fingers at all of Jerusalem who would listen and say, you denied the Lord. Here's number three. Okay. Approach the throne of grace with full assurance and utter confidence. Number two, don't give too much attention to regrets. Remember the lessons, but don't live there. Number three, God's discipline doesn't mean the withdrawal of his presence. God's discipline does not mean the withdrawal of his presence. Now, I've got to say this. I'm not speaking glibly of God's judgment. There is, you know, we talked a few weeks ago, months ago now, I guess, about there's, there's five levels of judgment. And, and Israel reached that peak of judgment almost, or they reached the the next highest level, the, the final level of God's judgment is God's wrath and it's too late for anything. But Israel reached point four out of those five points. And God spoke to the priests of Israel. He says, you're going to still do your job. You're going to still wear the vestments. You're still going to go through all the routine. But he says, one thing's going to change in all of your religious service. You will not come near me. And that was such a horrendous judgment, the thought of doing everything that God, that, that represented God, but never having a sense of his presence. But this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, now these things took place as an example for us, no matter all things in the Old Testament, that we might not desire evil as they did. We don't disregard the Old Testament. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you say, Pastor, you sound like a broken record. I know, but it's good. Stay away from ministries that disregard the Old Testament. These are given as examples that we may not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters if some of them were. Uh, verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We must not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example but are now written down for our instruction. Therefore, let anyone thinks that he stand, take heed lest that he fall. He said, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He says, listen, even in the vicissitudes and the toughness, the up and down of life, God is with you providing a way out of the wilderness. 
God's judgment does not mean the withdrawal of his presence. Let me, tell, let me tell you, I grew up in Sunday school and I hope you're raising your kids on the same thing. I taught my kids about those wonderful deliverance days in the wilderness. God gave them victory over their enemies. God fed them with bread from heaven. God gave them the satisfaction of their thirst by water out of the rock. And we love to dwell on those stories of God taking care of Israel in the wilderness. And, and they are marvelous. But has it ever occurred to you that that was second best for them? God never intended them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. But God loved them so much, he said that even though you're in rebellion, he said, I am going to continue to care for you. I'm going to continue to be your provider. You're never going to inherit the land that I want you to have. But I will take care of you until the day you stop breathing. Loved ones, we need to understand. And this is a serious flaw in the prophetic community today. It's the same flaw that you see in the book of Jeremiah with the prophets who disagreed with Jeremiah. They said, God cannot judge us. We are his people. God will not let Jerusalem fall. We are his people. And they said nothing that was um, theologically wrong. It just simply wasn't the truth. It wasn't true. They discounted the, the, the judgment of God because in their mind, they didn't understand that God's judgment can be redemptive. And I want to tell you, I believe in the prophetic word, but with what's happened in the last few months, it's time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to take a long, hard look at the prophetic community. And in a few weeks, I'm going to talk about what it means to, re to receive a prophetic word from the Lord. I believe in prophets. I believe in the prophetic. But we, have, we are besieged right now with men and women that prophesied one thing that didn't happen. And their response is, well, if you had believed, it would have happened. Since when has God's promise hinged on our belief when it was given as an infallible word? I mean, if their prophecies were conditional, they should have said they were conditional. If their prophecies were, I feel God has said this, they need to say, I feel God said this. But we have created a, a spectacle for the prophetic where men and women under the name of the prophet, and I believe many of them are, but they have chosen the bravado of saying, thus saith the Lord. And very few people have ever been in the presence of God well enough to say, thus saith the Lord. My word, this is good preaching, but I, I need to go. I'm telling you that if you are facing the dilemma of past failure, I want you to know you don't have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm talking about if you have failed God, there's bread from heaven. There's water from the rock. There's victory over your enemies. And God will bring you to a place of victory. Here's number four. Okay, approach the throne of grace with assurance and full confidence. Don't give too much attention to regrets. God's discipline doesn't mean the withdrawal of his presence. And here we are. Paul knew that he could start making good decisions right now. He, he, he knew what had happened, but he knew that right now, I can start making good decisions. Let me tell you something that has helped me through the years more than anything other than scripture. Somebody told me one time 
The best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. The next best time is today. You say, well, I should have done this. I should have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done the other. Okay, maybe you're right. But there's not a thing you can do about it except start making good decisions now. You say, I've been married for 30 years and I've mistreated my wife the whole time. I just, it's just too late. No, you should have treated her right 30 years ago, but if you didn't, start today. Now get some medication. She may need the medication when you start treating her the way God wants you to treat her. And, and you need to understand, you don't want to spring it on her all in one day. But if you didn't do it 30 years ago, you can start doing it today. You can start doing it today. Now, here's the second thing about this sermon. What if 2021 is the year your shame is removed and your testimony is recovered? Now, the rest of this is homework, okay? The rest of this is homework. Here's, here's half dozen or so questions. What, and you can't answer them now, but this is homework. What's your greatest failure and have you allowed yourself to make peace with your past? Number two, overcomers learn to make peace with their past, live with purpose in the present, live with promise for the future. Do you have a grid in which you can interpret your life that way? And number three, in your mind, what would it take to destroy the shame of your past? Number four, is there a need for restitution with someone according to Matthew 5 or Matthew 18? Is there a recurring weakness, number five, in your life that needs to be captured is your past reconciled with your spouse, your parents, your children? And here's the final question. Why not memorize one trait per week out of the blessing section? It's in your notes. And re rewrite your identity. I gave you a list of blessings. And what these are is this is uh, about 100, 102, somewhere in there, things that you may not know about yourself. This is what the scripture says about you. And loved ones, they are either true right now or they are true in process. Either you realize, yes, this is true. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Or it might be something that you say, well, I'm not experiencing that, but it's in process. It belongs to you now. What if you, what if you just took one of these things? Just, just one trait per week. You got two years worth and just concentrate on that trait saying, Lord, make this. What if you prayed this prayer? Lord Jesus, I struggle so much with regret. I am so ashamed of moments in my past when I let you down. But today I've learned there's a big difference between what I did and who I am. I'm no longer going to be identified by my weakness or my sin. My failures are no longer my identity in Jesus' mighty name and by his cleansing grace. Loved ones, we all have moments in our lives, every one of us, where if, if they put it on that screen up there, we would, we would die of a heart attack for people to know us at our worst. Every one of us. But there is a grace of God that says, come home. And that same grace says, whatever you need to become, whatever you need to do, I will help you. I will help you. Now that's what we walk into 2021 with.
our time is over today, but if you are here in Brown Chapel or here in the main sanctuary, if you're watching at home, and I realize when we're talking about this kind of thing, it, you may want to get alone. I understand that. But I, I don't want you, I don't want you to just say, I'll do better. If Jesus Christ is not your personal Lord and Savior, the scripture says that if we will come to him in humility and admit that we are sinners and that he is the Savior. Oh, there's a lot more theology to all of this. But that's the core of it. I am a big sinner. He is a big Savior. And he says, if I will accept him, he will accept me. And he will give me the gift of eternal life. I encourage you to do that today. And it's just that simple. In, in 15 seconds, I mean, I encourage you to pray longer. But in 15 seconds, you can make that declaration. Lord, I'm through with my sin. I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability. Teach me by your spirit and help me to get into a good church or, or at Christian life. Help me to get plugged in so that I learn how to become more like Jesus and less like the old me. But loved ones, please understand this. This kind of victory does not happen by you saying, okay, I'm going to do better. No. This is a required work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be all, you know, demonstrative. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But at some point, you have to plug in to the power of the Holy Spirit and you have to realize that real and lasting change is by the Spirit. In fact, when you became a Christian, it was the work of the Spirit. The Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ and you were born again. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. If you need prayer this morning, I invite you to come forward in either of our auditoriums. If you're at home, you may want to drop to your knees right where you are and ask God to help you. You may be in a crowd and you'd say, well, I'm not really comfortable doing it with my mother-in-law and my cousin in the room. That's okay. But find a place somewhere today. Find a place where you can be shut in with God in that secret place. And you can say, Lord, I, I have been identified by what I did but Lord, thank you for showing me what I did is not who I am, not anymore. And I ask you to help me as we move forward. Would you stand? Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to take us to a new place in you. Lord, the issue isn't whether or not we're forgiven. The issue is whether or not we're walking in our forgiveness. So I ask you to show yourself mighty in the strong name of Jesus for your glory, and for your honor, so that we might become more like the one who died to save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Join us next Sunday. We're going to begin talking about how to fight the good fight of faith. I love you. If you want prayer while you're here, come to the front, and the ushers will show you to the area where prayer partners are waiting to pray with you. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.